Grab a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Our culture today loves comfort. We tend to prioritize what is comfortable and easy. For example, I am amazed at all the things I can do while sitting in my living room in my recliner. Yes, the recliner itself demonstrates the love of comfort, but let me just tell you what is possible for me to accomplish while not moving an inch. (laughs) While sitting in my recliner, I can vacuum my house. Yes, last year I broke down and bought one of those robot vacuums, which I must say, when you have toddlers who get crumbs everywhere, they don't work. Uh, They just don't do the job that you need. But still, from the push of a button on my phone, I can sit back while my floors are clean. While sitting in my recliner, I can order fully cooked and prepared food from just about anywhere I want. I push a few buttons on the DoorDash app and I can have Italian, Mexican, Chinese, Thai, Indian, or just McDonald's. Now, for some reason, they haven't developed a way to get the food all the way to my recliner. So, sadly, I do have to walk about 10 steps to my front door. But the next time, I'm considering leaving the door open, and maybe I can ask the driver to come in and hand it to me. We'll see how that goes. While sitting in my recliner, I can pay my bills, I can shop online, and I can even buy an acre of land on Mars. Yes, it's true. You can look it up. You can do it. I don't know why you would, but you can. I don't need to get in my car and go to the bank, the store, really anywhere anymore. I can sit back and comfortably spend all my money on things I don't need. And while sitting in my recliner, I can play music, watch a movie, and even tour the world virtually. All the entertainment I could ever want is literally at the tip of my fingers 24 hours a day. I don't have to go out in public and see other people. I don't even have to change out of my pajamas. Yeah. Now, notice I said I can do these things. I'm not that lazy. I do get out of my recliner sometimes and venture out into the world. Sometimes I even do things the hard way, like sit in the drive-thru line at McDonald's so a robot can take my order. Or sometimes I'm really brave and I actually go to the grocery store so I can sit in my warm car while someone else loads them (laughs) into my trunk. Okay, all silliness and, and sarcasm aside, which is what that was full of, my point is we live in a culture where comfort is everything. Technology provides us with endless convenience. And while that has brought us many useful things, I can't help but wonder at the end of the day, if it hurts more than it helps. I think about that especially when it comes to the Christian life. Because one of the most important things we've been called to do as followers of Jesus is the opposite of comfort. It's the word sacrifice. That word is so important that here at Blue Valley we included it as one of the five habits we believe every Jesus follower must live out. Those five S habits, as we call them, are surrender, sustain, sacrifice, shine, and share. If you've been here with us on Sunday mornings the last few weeks, and you know we're taking five weeks to walk through each of those habits and to see how we can live them out this year in 2023. So far, we've covered surrender, which says, I will daily submit to Jesus as my king. Then we tackled sustain, which says, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. And then we talked about shine, which says, I will reflect the life of Christ as I engage the cultures around me. Today, let's look at habit number four, which 
let me prepare you, may be the toughest of them all. Because as we've established, this habit cuts against the very grain of our culture and upends our natural desires for comfort. It's the habit of sacrifice. So let's start in God's work. Let's see what sacrifice means for a Jesus follower, and then we'll close it out by seeing it practically lived out. So Matthew chapter 16, look with me now at verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? As we walk through this passage, let me give you four things we learn here about sacrifice. Here's the first. Number one, sacrifice is a continuing commitment. It's a continuing commitment. Uh, Let's think back this morning to the original 12 disciples, the very first guys to follow Jesus. Uh, That's who he's talking to in these verses. There was a point at which he called each of them to leave behind their lives to follow him. For example, there was James and John, two brothers who ran a fishing business with their father. When Jesus invited them to follow him, they left their boats and their nets and their whole business behind. They made that initial sacrifice and gave themselves to Jesus. And we understand that part of sacrifice. The moment we get saved, we pray. We, we give our lives to Christ. In that moment, we make a sacrifice. We're turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus to follow him. But Jesus wanted his disciples to see that that decision that they'd made was to be a continuing commitment. Yes, each of them had given up everything to follow him, but he expected them to continue to sacrifice. That's the whole concept of the word follow. It's not just a one-time moment, but it's a process. And that would have been a lot easier for the first century disciples to understand. After all, they were literally following Jesus around. Where he went, they went. What he did, they did. Every morning they got up and they chose to walk after him. But we need to see that this call of continually following Jesus is for us too. Notice Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. This is not just a call for pastors or missionaries or deacons or super spiritual people who have like, you know, their presets all set to Christian radio stations. No, no, Jesus says, if you want to be a Christian, you must follow. You made an initial commitment. You said you believe. Now keep going. Keep following. I think this is something we often miss today. I know I miss this growing up in church. I thought being a Christian was solely about being converted. Right? You get saved, you get baptized, and you're going to heaven. And if you would ask me, well, hey, what, what do I do next? I would have said, well, uh, you know, yeah, you should go to church and uh, don't say cuss words and be nice to people. And, and if you can, read your Bible. Like, I just didn't really have a concept of continuing to pursue a relationship with Jesus. It wasn't until later in my teenage years when I was discipled. And I discovered this whole new world of the Christian life. I began to pursue Jesus and engage him in in things like scripture and prayer. That's the sustained habit we talked about. But at the foundation of all of it was this understanding 
that I'm not just a Christian, but I'm a Jesus follower. I'm on a journey. I'm following after Jesus every day, walking with him. I made a commitment when I was seven years old, and I'm not giving up now. But I'm continuing my commitment and going deeper and deeper into what this means for my life. Sacrifice is a continuing commitment. Here's the second thing we learn about sacrifice. Number two, sacrifice is a radical abandonment. It's a radical abandonment. Now, so far, this following Jesus thing sounds kind of nice and dandy. You spend time with Jesus and you grow in your faith. Man, that's awesome. And it is. But let's don't miss this morning perhaps one of the most challenging things Jesus ever said right here in these verses. Verse 24. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want us to think about those first two calls, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. First, what does it mean to deny yourself? That word deny means to renounce or to disown. Does that mean to be a Christian I need to like hate myself or just constantly criticize myself? No, no, no. Here's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> All of us, apart from Jesus, have a natural bent inward. We are naturally selfish and self-centered and self-focused people. We instinctively put ourselves first. Yes, we may have moments where we give up stuff for other people and we love people like our family and our friends. But in our sinful, unredeemed nature, we are all about doing what our self wants. So to deny yourself is to reject that old way of living and to live for Jesus instead. It's to disown your sinful, self-centered nature and give your life totally to Jesus. That's the heart of sacrifice. As followed Jesus, you're called to sacrifice everything, not the least of which is your very self. And that's made crystal clear in the second call Jesus gives, to take up your cross. Let's remember that the first disciples who heard this before, uh, who heard this, they heard this before Jesus was crucified. So they didn't have a positive view of the cross as we do today. We wear crosses on our necks. We hang crosses in our homes and in our churches. We sing about the wonderful cross because we know the cross is a picture of God's love for us, and rightly so. But before the death of Jesus, for a first century Jewish person, the cross was one of the most terrifying and horrifying images possible. The cross was a method of execution devised by the Roman government to torture and humiliate and as painfully as possible kill those who rebelled against their authority. Historically, we know Jesus was not the first person to be crucified. In fact, in his lifetime, thousands were likely crucified. Jewish people in this time would have routinely watched their fellow Jews be punished in this manner. And one particularly brutal aspect of crucifixion was when the criminal had to carry their own cross. Yes, the one being crucified would take their death march in the public eye while carrying on their back the very piece of wood on which they would hang to die. It was meant to humiliate that person and bring them to complete submission. So when Jesus said, take up your cross... Can you imagine how wide the eyes of the disciples got? <laughs> this is great. This is what they were thinking about. 
Yet this wasn't the first time he had said this. He used this image multiple times in the Gospels. So what exactly was Jesus communicating with this call to the cross? He wasn't saying it in a way we hear it sometimes today. We say, oh, well, everybody has their cross to bear. Like we all have something bad or difficult we deal with. That's not what he means here. No, Jesus wanted them to see that to follow him meant being willing to sacrifice everything, including their very lives. To take up your cross means to be so radically committed to Jesus that you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow him. Even be humiliated, tortured, killed in the worst possible way. That's what he was calling these disciples to do. It took a long time for them to understand this. In fact, right before Jesus said these words, in Matthew 16, he tried to tell his disciples that he was going to be put to death, as he did several times. But Peter actually pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? But Peter told him, he said, no, 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 that's not going to happen on my watch. You are wrong, man. And what did Jesus say in response? Just a few verses earlier, verse 23. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus identified the response of Peter with that of Satan's work. See, the disciples thought the way of Jesus and his kingdom was to conquer and to sit on a throne. They thought Jesus was going into Jerusalem to take it over. But Jesus wanted them to see that his way was the way of sacrifice and his kingdom was to be built by a cross. This is something we must grasp today too. Yes, we live in a very different time and culture. Today we are pampered and we face minor inconveniences compared to Christians throughout history. But the call upon us as followers of Jesus is no different than it was for the very first ones. To follow Jesus means to be willing to give up friends, family, career, dreams, comfort, health, even your very life. And while today in Olathe, Kansas, it's very unlikely any of us would face persecution to the point of death, the question must still be answered, would you die for this? Just like many of our brothers and sisters throughout history and many of them in the world still today, would you too be willing to give up your very life for Christ? If not, listen, turn back now. This is not for you. Jesus was not exaggerating. He wasn't trying to make a neat point. No, almost all of these same disciples who heard this message went on to be killed for their faith. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was pierced by a spear. James was stoned to death. Bartholomew was beat to death by a whip. And on and on it goes. Like those are the guys who started this whole Jesus movement, who started the church we're a part of today. And yet we tell people that all you need to know is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's true, by the way. But what if his wonderful plan is for you to live a life of suffering and die an early death? Would you still sign up? What if his wonderful plan is for you to leave everyone you know and love and go to a different part of the world, learn a totally new language and witness to people who will never listen to you? If that's not something you're willing to do, you're following the wrong guy. Sacrifice is a radical abandonment. 
Here's the third thing we learn about sacrifice. Number three, sacrifice is a priority shift. Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? This is what we call right here a paradox. You try to save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you find it. What does that mean? Well, Jesus presents us here with two different ways of living. See, each of us has been given one life. We got one shot at this thing. And there are two things we can do with it. And what we choose to do with our lives has an eternal outcome. One way of living is to save your life. He means to prioritize yourself. That's the natural way we said as sinners that comes easy. We gravitate toward protecting and preserving our own lives. We want to fulfill our own desires and make ourselves happy. But to do that, to, to do what seems so normal in the world's eyes is to actually lose your life. And Jesus is talking here about eternal life. He's saying if you prioritize yourself and save your life, you might have a great earthly life. You might be successful, you might be wealthy, you might live a long time in a great neighborhood, but in the end, when you stand before God and you prepare to enter eternity, all of that will be lost. Like none of that will matter anymore. You will have worked so hard to save your life only to lose it in the end. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 26. He says, what good will it do to gain the whole world? To get everything you ever wanted and then to die and forfeit your soul in hell. Like, I don't think that's a good trade. Temporary gain of earthly possessions for eternal loss of your soul. What could be worth more than your soul? Is money or possessions or family or fame or career or success or a great relationship worth more than your eternal standing with God? Of course not. And yet that's a trade people make every single day. In fact, Jesus said most people will do this. They will choose the wide path, which leads to destruction. They hang on to their lives. They follow their own way, and in the end, they lose everything. And guys, it's, it's so important to see that this is really the dominant message of our culture today. It's the American dream. It's what we're taught from birth. Work hard. Make a name for yourself. Get as much as you can so that you can be happy and fulfilled. The big house, the picket fence, the nice car, good schools for your kids, great health care, all the comforts and pleasures your heart desires. And then you can retire and sit on the beach. You deserve that. You've earned it. So spend your whole life working for those last few years where you do nothing. <laughs> is that what it means to truly live? Like, is that the purpose of life? I hope not. As followers of Jesus, we know that there's another way to live. Jesus says it's to lose your life for his sake. To give up your way. To give up the American dream. To stop fighting and clawing and climbing the ladder of success. To walk away from the world's picture of life for you. And to give your life to follow Jesus wherever he takes you and whatever he calls you to do. And here again lies the paradox. To do that. To lose your life for Jesus is to actually find it. That's truly living. That's real life. It's a life lived for Jesus, and when you live for him, you live forever. Again, there's a trade-off, but this time it's a good one. Temporary sacrifice for eternal gain. 
If this life is a mist and this next life goes on forever, I don't know about you, but I'm going to live for the one that goes forever. So sacrifice requires a priority shift. It's a total shift in who you are and what you do. It's why Jesus calls following him being born again. You start over. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That's the third thing we learn about sacrifice. And here's the fourth and last. Number four, sacrifice is a joy. It's a joy. Here's the most amazing part of this whole thing. What sounds so hard and intense and scary, giving up your life, dying for Jesus, sacrificing everything, is actually the path to joy and peace and purpose and greatest of all, eternal life. Again, we don't understand this on our own. In our sin nature, we want instant gratification. We want to see the results immediately. Right? So we go after these things that we think will make us happy. Like money. Money can make you happy for a little while. Or food, or drink, or entertainment, a relationship, a diploma, or degree, a good job. Those things can make you happy for a little while. But when you put your water in those buckets, here's what you find. The bucket leaks. There's a hole in the bottom. So you have to keep adding water in and going back again and again for another hit and another hit and another hit. So while many of those things I just listed, they're good things. They're good things from God even to be enjoyed. They're not designed to bring us lasting joy. So they're not the things we're called to give our life to. Again, let me make clear, those are not bad things. Working hard and making money, having a family, enjoying yourself, those are gifts from God. But what most people do is get so caught up in the gifts that they miss the giver. He's the point. And true joy is found in sacrificing for him, giving him your life and following his will for you. It will always be better. And no, it may not bring you instant gratification. It may even cause pain and difficulty in the near future. But it will bring eternal joy. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, this is Paul talking. Like the guy who was almost killed numerous times for his faith, imprisoned, did eventually die. And he calls his sufferings and his difficulties light momentary afflictions. And he says it's actually through those sufferings that God prepares for us an eternal weight of glory where there's no comparison. Momentary affliction for eternal glory. Jesus told his disciples something similar in Mark 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There's that paradox again. He says, everything that you've given up in this life for me, it's going to come back to you. You're not even going to miss it. It's going to come back a hundredfold in eternity. Nothing will be wasted, but it will all be worth it in the end. This is why we learn something really remarkable about the early Christians. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he's writing to those early churches. He says this in Hebrews 10. 
But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Again, he's talking to Christians. He says, after you were enlightened, so after you got saved, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Again, that, that's the norm for Christians. It's suffering. It's difficulties. And he tells us what kind of difficulties they faced. Some were publicly ridiculed. Some were thrown in prison. Some had their property plundered. Like, can you just imagine that for a second? We show up to church one Sunday and we find out, yeah, Jeremy got thrown in jail this week for sharing his faith. Or the Chowson family had their home plundered. All their stuff was taken and destroyed. If that happened, I wonder if we would react the way these early Christians did. It says they, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Really? Like, is that some kind of typo? I mean, their homes, their stuff, just taken and destroyed. They're being thrown in jail, and they just accept it? Here's why. He says because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. Better and abiding. That's what sacrifice brings. We give up everything to follow Jesus and we find it's worth it. It's worth it because what we get from him is better. And it's abiding means it's going to last forever. So the call for Jesus followers to sacrifice, it may sound challenging and intimidating. But once you understand what you have in Jesus, sacrifice becomes a joy. You joyfully give it away. So here's our declaration statement for this habit. Sacrifice says, I will offer my life to God and people beyond what is comfortable. Did you catch that? I will offer my life to God and people beyond what is comfortable. To follow Jesus means to offer or to give up your life and to do so in service first and foremost to God and then second to people. And here's the key. It's to do this beyond what is comfortable. That's important. So here's what I've found. We will all sacrifice. Every single one of us in this room will give up comfort for something that is important to us. For example, we, we sacrifice for our family. We often do things that are uncomfortable and costly and time-consuming for them. Why? Because they're important to us, and rightly so. We will also sacrifice for things we enjoy. We will spend our hard-earned money on golf or video games or clothes or food. We'll stand out in the freezing cold at a Chiefs game. We'll get up early to go hunting. We'll drive and travel far to visit a place we really want to see. We will sacrifice when something is important enough. All of us do this. We willingly trade in our comfort for something we think will be better in return. Here's the question. Will we do this for Jesus? Will we truly believe that he's better? That he's better? And will we give up our comfort for him? Guys, make no mistake, following Jesus will cost you. It may cost you time spent doing other things so you can spend time with him. It may cost you a job promotion or making more money so you can spend time serving him and your family. It may cost you the approval of people so you can stand for truth and share your faith. 
It may cost you a comfortable suburban life in your dream home, close to friends and family, so you can move to a new place with a church plant or as an international missionary. It will cost all of us something. And that's going to look different for each of us. But as I thought about this, I think there's one thing that every single one of us can sacrifice this year. Something that will be difficult and costly for all of us. And that's our time. All of us have the exact same number of hours in a day. And I don't know about you, but those keep getting shorter for me, it feels like. Like my calendar stays full. If you were to ask me to add one more commitment this year, I might lose my mind. So this morning, I'm not asking you to do something. I'm asking you to stop doing something. I don't want you to add anything to your calendar. I want you to cut something out. Here's the practical challenge. I challenge you to take some time to look over your entire calendar from 2022 and ask yourself, what can I cut out for 2023? Ask yourself some other questions like, what is really important and actually lines up with my purpose in Christ and what doesn't? Am I spending most of my time on myself and what I want or on God and others? Do I have space in my calendar here to serve, to give, to be even available? And I was convicted at the conference we had last weekend. The speaker, he said, you can't be a good neighbor if you're never home. So maybe you need to ask yourself, do I need to travel less this year? Do I need to do a better job of saying no? Do I need to work less? Do I need to find a new job? Maybe I even make less money so my whole life is not dominated by my work. That is your challenge. Not easy to do. We're busy. Everybody's busier than everybody else. But look at your calendar. Consider the words of Jesus. What would it look like this year to deny myself, to take up my cross and follow? What would it look like to offer myself to God and people beyond what is comfortable? That's our call and nothing less. Would you bow in prayer with me?